The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here on this sort of half rainy, half warm, sunny, early summer kind of day. It is a good thing to be in God's house to worship the Lord and sing songs together and open God's Word together as a company of people. So take your Bibles and we'll go to the book of Ephesians and uh, chapter 3. We're going to read uh, verses 1 to 13 and then we'll pray and then we'll... Uh, get into God's Word together. Let's read together. Beginning at verse 1, Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. To be specific that the... Sorry, try it again. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, in order that that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Let's pray, shall we? Loving Father, this morning as we come before your word, open before us. We pray, O God, that you would speak to us, that you would meet with us, and Father, that you would explain the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit in each of our hearts. Father, we pray again that my voice would end at the pulpit, but your voice would speak to every heart in the room. Father, we long to hear your voice. Father, for some of us who have never heard the call of God to trust and believe and follow you, Father, we pray this morning that you would, by the power of the Spirit of God, make that call that some would follow, that some would turn and repent of sin and follow you. Father, for those of us who have been walking with you, Father, for many years, we pray, O God, that you would strengthen us for the journey, 
Father, you would revive and refresh us from your word, that we would see your purposes, that you are working out. Father, we ask you for help. And Father, just thinking of the text and Paul who said that grace was given to him, the least of all the saints, to preach the gospel. And so, Father, I plead with you this morning that that same grace would be given again to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Father, it is a task to which there is no successful achievement. We can never truly preach Christ the way that he ought to be preached and lifted up. But Father, we we rejoice, we marvel that you give us grace to minister. You give us grace to open faltering, weak, clay lips and to speak the truths of the living God. And you use the mouths of men and the voices of men in your work to bring the unsaved in, to encourage and strengthen and cheer. And Father, we pray, O God, that that grace would be here this morning, that you would do your work. And we ask you these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite pictures on my computer of the early days of Casey Bible Church is a picture of two men that are standing together in a, in a community center where we gathered for worship and they're enjoying a laugh together. Two men who were about as opposite to each other as you could possibly imagine. The one was a man named Jay. He's six feet two inches tall. He is an ex-military, ex-SAS sniper who was involved in all kinds of covert operations in his career in the military. He grew up just a few blocks from here in Noble Park. He's a former Geelong footy player, and he's got tattoos that go from his wrist to his shoulder on both arms. He's got no hair. He's standing there in his jeans and his work boots with his God Squad motorcycle jacket, and his head is tipped back, and he is laughing. And standing right beside him is another man. And this man is altogether different. This man is gentle and gracious and elderly, a very quiet and godly man. He is a distinguished businessman in a tweed jacket, a white shirt, perfectly pressed, and his tie perfectly knotted. He is Gordon. And I could say, and, and Heather can honestly agree, that without any slight or any disrespect, I could honestly say he is the epitome of a dapper chap. Two men, totally different, had nothing in common. One of them is as rough and as tough and it drives a Harley Davidson that will deafen anybody at 900 meters. It's, they're completely different people. And yet they have fellowship and they have a relationship around one thing. They have relationship and fellowship around Jesus Christ. And you know why one of the things, one of the many things I love about Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church? There's 28 nationalities, probably a dozen languages and cultures, and yet we all come together into this place and we gather around one person. We have fellowship and we are one in Christ, even though we're remarkably different in all kinds of ways and shapes, sizes and descriptions. We're different. 
And yet we come together. We have fellowship around one person. This community, this church, is a gospel community. That doesn't mean that we just stand up every Sunday morning and preach the gospel, which we do strive to do, but that's not entirely what it means. What it means is that we come together not on the basis of the fact that we're all from Victoria, which we are. We don't come together on the basis of the fact that we're all carpenters because we're not all carpenters. We don't come together on the basis of the fact that we're all engineers because we're not all engineers. We don't come together for any simple reason except this one reason. We come together because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to take people from every reach and corner of the world and gather them together. That's amazing. You meet up with somebody who's a Christian. You know that moment when you suddenly figure out, oh, wait a minute, that, that, that person, that, that's a Christian over there. Or you're in a conversation with somebody and as you're talking and all of a sudden you, you begin to realize, wait a minute, I was in a doctor's office. I was chatting with this fellow and, and I had this horrible cough and cold in my throat and I could, couldn't talk very well and so on. And he said, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church and so on. And we started talking and right away we both started going and looking at each other. I said, are you a believer? He goes, yeah, you, oh, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden everything changed. Because all of a sudden we knew that it wasn't just a medical issue that I was in his office and we were sharing and talking together. It was because we had Jesus Christ and so all of a sudden there was fellowship there unlike anything else. You say, what's that got to do with Ephesians chapter 3? Well, it has this. The church of Jesus Christ is the sum total of all those who have faith in God from every time, every place, every nation, every people, every background. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, Israeli and Arab, Canadian and American, Aussie and Kiwi, red, yellow, black, white, brown, what, even cool gray, whatever color you are, we can all have fellowship around this one thing, Jesus Christ. The great mystery of God is the reconciling of all people, nations, languages, cultures around one person, Jesus Christ. You know how we all got to be scattered across the face of the earth, right? The man got together and said, let's build ourselves a tower, make a name for ourselves. And they started building up. And as they're climbing up the tower, building higher and higher, God said, let us go down and see what these people are doing. He went down and saw what they were doing. And you know what he did? He gave us different languages. And all of a sudden, Carpenter Joey is talking to Carpenter Freddy, and all of a sudden they just can't understand each other. And nations are split apart on the basis of language, and later on color, and nations spread out across the earth. And just as sin always drives people apart, so God spread out the nations. And there was a separating, a pushing apart throughout history. But God has one eternal purpose. He is bringing everybody back together. All those who have faith in Jesus Christ, He is gathering them together as a people. And although we see this a little bit on Sunday morning by Sunday morning as we gather as Noble Park, guess what? In a great day to come when Jesus is on this earth again and he gathers all the nations before him, then that moment will be fully complete when nations, not nations, People 
of every nation, color, language, creed, all through history will be all gathered together around Jesus. And he will divide the unbeliever from the believer. And he will gather the believers to himself. And they will forever be with the Lord. That one person they have had in common throughout all of history, as the church has been building and growing, now they're going to be with the Lord. And the church that we're a part of, is a picture, a little glimpse of what that's going to be like. The good singing is only going to get better. The prayers of worship are going to get so much better because we'll be seeing Him face to face. Our fellowship will be so much sweeter because there won't be sin that hinders and grieves the Spirit of God in us, but we'll be able to have perfect relationships and fellowship one with the other, and it'll all be a beautiful, amazing thing. This church is a little foretaste of that. Well, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13 verses there, right God word, God's word open in front of us is describing in particular the grace of God that was given to Paul to make known God's mystery. And you say, what is the mystery of God? And there's a lot of debate about how we understand this term. In fact, in the passage, there are three very significant theological terms. We're only going to look at one of them today, but well, the others a little bit, but one mostly. There is, first of all, the mystery of Christ. That's a very key theological term. The second term is the term, the wisdom of God. That's in here as well. And the third term is the term, eternal purpose. Now, all those terms are there, and, and but they're not actually the main point. There are things that Paul is talking about. The main point is God's grace that was given to him to make known the mystery, to minister the gospel, to preach the gospel, and to teach the truth of the word of God. Not only that, Paul was given grace to suffer as a prisoner of Christ and to suffer tribulations on behalf of the Gentiles. So it's all about God's grace given to Paul to minister on behalf of God. But we have included in this passage the mystery, the wisdom of God, and the internal purpose of God. So before we can look at God's grace given to Paul, we need to understand what that mystery is all about. That's kind of the bigger of the three topics, or the most discussed in the passage. The mystery he describes here in this passage is something that was hidden by God in times past, generations past. It has not been made known to generations past, but it has now, in Paul's time, been made known to the apostles and prophets of Paul's age. And Paul has now seen it revealed to the apostles and prophets, and he's making it known. That mystery, specifically in verse 6, Paul describes as the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. If you jump up to Ephesians 2, and I believe it's verse 19, he says a similar thing. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. If you jump over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul's going to say, the mystery of Christ is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery, the best way to understand it is simply this. The mystery is God's working to reconcile man to himself and also man to each other. And how he does that is by bringing Jew, Gentile, Arab, Israeli, 
Indian, Asian, American, Canadian, whatever, bringing them all in Christ. And being in Christ, we're now new creatures. And being in Christ together, we now have a fellowship and a relationship with one another that we did not have before. In particular, in the passage, he's talking about Jew and Gentile and how they are reconciled to God in one person in Christ. So God is doing a number of things. And what I've done is, I've my little pink sheet you've got in your uh, bulletin there, I've gone through and we're going to do kind of a sweeping history of God's work throughout history with the different nations to bring them together. This is going to be, really, it's a very long five-point introduction and one main point of what we want to get out of it. So if you can track it through, go for it. If you don't, not tracking very well, hang on to it. Go back and look up the verses later on. You'll be able to fill in the blanks a little bit and make it work. But we'll go through this. I'll tell you now, we'll go through fairly quickly to get through all six of what we want to get through today. All right? So first of all, God is bringing about His eternal purposes. Notice in 3 and verse 11, He says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. By the way, when I said eternal purpose says, I think on your sheet, no, I did say purpose, good. It should be singular. It's only one eternal purpose. God is bringing about His single purpose, which is to gather all believers together under one head, who is Christ. God's purpose is to gather all things together in one body, under one head. Everything that God does, this is important to get a hold of, Everything that God does has as its ultimate aim the accomplishment of that singular purpose. So God is working in your life and in my life in a multitude of different ways. He is even using me to work in your life and you to work, you to work in my life. And it's all aimed towards that one final purpose of gathering all the nations together under one head who is Christ. God's eternal purpose cannot be hindered even in knowing from the foundation of the world that man would sin, would rebel, and would be separated not only from himself, but also from each other. Sin massively separates man from God. That we're dead to God. We're actually cut completely off. So how is God going to accomplish that final purpose if we're cut off from God? Well, God had it all in mind. He knew exactly from the beginning what he was going to do and how he was going to accomplish his purposes. God created us in harmony, fellowship, and holiness. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.29 that God made man with the same moral character as his own. He made him upright. But we... In sin, have sought out all kinds of devices, have gone our own way. We've abandoned God and abandoned His Word and sought out every other way for ourselves. But that doesn't stop God from doing what He's doing. God's, I mean, our great undoing of the world is our sinful rebellion against God. The book of Romans tells us that though one man, sorry, through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. The great restoring is God's reconciling man to himself. God is in the business of bringing man back. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says this, 
that God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That captures the whole of the idea in the passage. Because he's saying, listen, God reconciled us to himself and now God has committed to us, believers, the ministry of reconciliation to go out into the world, to preach the gospel, to bring people back into relationship with God. God reconciled man to himself and man to man with the intention of accomplishing his eternal purpose. Listen, God did not simply save you just so he could save you and you alone by yourself. He saved you with the ultimate end purpose of reconciling you with every other believer in the world and reconciling you all to God in Christ Jesus. There is a great purpose for which God saved you, and it isn't just to give you a happy, nice life. In fact, I would argue that being saved and knowing Jesus Christ means you probably will not have a happy, nice life. You'll have a life of incredible joy. You'll have a life of great purpose in glorifying God in everything you do. You have a life with a great eternal retirement program that beats everything else going. You'll have a great life of fellowship with believers, but I promise you it will not be a happy life like most of the world is looking for and half of the prosperity gospel teacher trying to tell you you can have. The life we have following Jesus Christ, being his disciples, is a life of great joy, but not necessarily a great life of great happiness. Everything will not go your way. A little bit off topic, but just as you're going through this life as a believer, as a follower of Christ, look at all the disciples chased from one city to another. Eleven out of twelve of them died a violent death, and yet they knew incredible joy as they walked with God. But God is working His eternal purpose. He is reaching out and He is saving us and bringing us and reconciling us to God and reconciling us to each other. God also, number two, hid his mystery for a time. Now, the mystery that Paul is describing in Ephesians 3 is Jew and Gentile as fellow heirs, etc. Well, that requires the reconciling of Jew and Gentile. Now, Jews and Gentiles were separated by God for a time in order to bring about his greater eternal purpose. In other words, God stepped into history and he called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and he gave him circumcision. Out of Abraham's family, he created a nation called Israel. And God was separating a people, Gentile, separated from Jew. Or Hebrew is a better way to understand that. Why would God do that? If he's in the purpose of reconciling us all to each other, why would he step in and split apart on the basis of circumcision and a family line like that? Why would he divide? God had a purpose. His purpose was to gather everybody else, and this is part of it. He did that. He separated Jew and Hebrew from Gentile in order to give us his law. 
to give us the covenants, to give us his scriptures through the pens of the prophets and writers of the Old Testament. He separated us to give us the promises regarding Jesus the Messiah. He separated Jew and Gentile to bring Jesus into the world through the Jewish people. He separated Jew and Gentile in order to bring about his plan of salvation for all people. Why? Because the Bible tells us that salvation is of the Jews. Meaning what? Meaning Jesus came from the Jewish people. That's how it worked about. In order to bring about his eternal purpose in Christ, he separated them apart. Because of that, God had to hide his mystery for ages, a certain amount of time. Notice what he says in verse number uh, 9. He says, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Notice also, he says up in verse number 5, he's talking, let's go verse 4 as well. He says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy prophets, holy apostles and prophets. So there was a time throughout history when God hid that great purpose of reconciling us all in Christ Jesus in one body. And he actually for a time separated mankind to Jew and Gentile. So that's the third point there. God separated them. Remember Genesis chapter 12. The Lord says to Abram, go forth from your house and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God was dividing mankind into Jew and Gentile, and even in the promise to Abraham, he touches on the eternal purpose, for in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He's talking about a future time when Jesus, who is the promised seed here, would come, and in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. Keep, keep tracking along. Okay? I know this is a little bit of a long, windy course to get to where we're going, but stay with me. Genesis 15, Abraham believed in the Lord and to keep his promises, and that belief was counted as righteousness. That, by the way, is probably one of the most significant verses in the Old Testament because it defines, which Paul will pick up and so will James and other writers, it defines for us how man is saved. Right back in Genesis chapter 12, right back at the beginning of salvation history, the Lord recorded, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When Con trusted in Christ as his Savior, the very same statement is written across Con's life. Con believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Exactly the same as Abraham. So man is saved... Old Testament and New Testament, exactly the same way. But God had to separate out Jew and Gentile for a time to bring about all of the events and all of the circumstances in which Jesus would come and provide salvation for all the nations. Fast forward, Exodus 19 to 20. 
Abraham's descendants as a nation of Israel become a distinct people of God, separated to God. God used the Old Testament nation of Israel, as we already said, to record his word, to be the recipients of his covenants, to be the recipients of his promises, to be the people through whom Jesus the Messiah came, and to be God's visible presence in the world in relationship with God. Now, there's a problem here. Abraham's descendants, all the male ones, were circumcised, whether or not they believed in God. Okay, Whether they had faith or not, they were still circumcised. All of Israel, they had the covenant of circumcision. And whether or not they had saving faith in God, they kept that covenant of circumcision all the way down through all those thousands of years of history. But the problem was... They did not all have faith in God. In fact, I would argue that the vast majority of them did not have faith in God. Read through the books of the Old Testament. Who here finds the Old Testament a little hard to read at times? Oh, good. I'm not the only one. <laughs> There's a few of you like me. That's okay. Don't, don't, don't be shy. You hit, you know, you're trying to read through the Bible in a year. You're going, great, Genesis, Exodus, and you hit Leviticus, right? And it's just like, oh, please. You know, so-and-so brushed the so-and-so and the, and the oil and the water and, the, and all that stuff. And it's so hard to figure out. But you got to realize that God had a purpose in all those things. And all through the generations of Israel's history, as you read it, what you're going to find is one of two things. They're going to either obey the Lord and see God's blessing, or they're going to disobey the Lord and see God's judgment, Right? What that's showing us is the people of God, although they were circumcised, the vast majority of them had no idea of saving faith in God. They were the physical descendants of Abraham, but they were not the faith descendants of Abraham. And that's really key because Paul picks it up in Galatians 3 and explains how we are the seed of Abraham because we have faith in Christ. All right, moving on. Where are we up to? I got lost. Here we go. Salvation is by grace through faith. Even in the Old Testament, one of the little tiny minor prophets had the, one of the greatest statements that lines up with Abraham's statement. And Paul picks it up in Romans chapter 1. This is what he said. He said, but the righteous one will live by his faith. And Paul just reversed the order. He said, by faith we live. Meaning what? Meaning by faith in God, we have eternal life. The Old Testament saints, men like Moses and Joshua and David and I think Solomon too, if you read through some of their writings, they got it. What did David say in Psalm 51? I would bring you a sacrifice if you would desire, but you don't desire it. The sacrifice of God are a broken and a contrite spirit, O God, that you will not despise. He knew. He knew he could bring all the blood offerings possible to make atonement for his sin with Bathsheba and the child that was born. But he knew what God really wanted was his faith of heart and a broken and a contrite heart before God. He got it. Moses, writing Deuteronomy, said, No, now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And he mentions faith, obedience, trust. He didn't mention sacrifices at all. I think it's Deuteronomy 12, verse 11, or 11, verse 12. I can't remember. It's in there. But what he's saying is this. Look, nation of Israel, 
You've got all these sacrifices. You've got the law. You've got the covenants. But look back to your great-great-great-great-grandfather named Abraham, and you will realize that what God desired was faith. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, right through history, God is looking for one thing, faith. What's the Bible say? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who come to God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Where are we up to? Number three, God separated mankind, a Jew and Gentile, but God was looking for faith. Number four, God reconciled Jew and Gentile to himself and each other. We know because the Bible tells us that none of the Jews or the Hebrews are able to keep the law's demands written on stone tablets so they're under God's judgment destined for wrath. If you read Romans 1 and 2, Paul makes this point absolutely clear. They couldn't keep the law. They couldn't. So the problem is the law, right? No, <laughs> not at all. The law is perfect and just and holy and good. There's not a thing wrong with the law. But the problem is that man is a sinful heart. And even though the law says, if you do everything that I require, you will have life. The problem is he can never keep that promise because we can never do everything the law required. It's impossible. Not because the law is faulty, but because we're sinners. God reconciled Jew and Gentile to himself. The Gentiles, just like the Jews, could not keep the law's demands written, not on stone tablets for us, but, but on our heart and our conscience. What is a little kid, right? They, you see the little guy run around, and you catch him in the kitchen, and he's got this look on his face like, you know, and you just know he's done something he's not supposed to do. And he, and he has his hand behind his back, and you say, what's in your hand? Nothing. Really? Well, show me. No. And they just, they have got this natural sense that this is wrong. I'm going to get in trouble. So if I hide it from my parents, I won't get in trouble, right? So that's built in. And the Bible tells us that God judges Gentiles on the basis of how they respond to their conscience. Romans chapter 2 makes that really clear. So the Jews couldn't keep the law's demands written on stone tablets that they could read and hold. The Gentiles couldn't keep the law's demands written on their hearts. So all of us, Jew and Gentile, needed to be reconciled to God. One way. How's he going to do it? We all know the answer. The Bible tells us absolutely clearly that God came and God came in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and suffered and died on a cross to meet all of the law's demands against us. He also lived a perfectly just and holy life all through his days on this earth so that he could meet all the law's demands on how he lived. He died to meet all the law's demands on us and the Jews together. For all of our sin. The Bible says in Romans 28, 3, 28 to 30, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, it doesn't make any difference whether you're Jew, and Gen Jew or Gentile. You both need to be reconciled to God. 
You both need to come to God through Christ. It's the only hope for Jew or Gentile. It's impossible on the basis of the law to have a relationship with God. You can't have it because you can't keep the law, right? So to get all this weaving through history, finally we get back to Ephesians chapter 3. Number 5 on your outline. God's mystery is that all believers... Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. Let's read together Ephesians 3, 1 to 5. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What is he saying? He's saying Jew and Gentile, once separated, now as believers, as disciples of Christ, they are one in Christ. So with Jewish person who has grown up with the law and all that stuff, and Gentile guy over here who's grown up with none of that, I trust in Christ Jesus for my salvation. He over here sees the message of Jesus and understands that Jesus is his Messiah who came to suffer and die for him. He trusts in Christ. And together, we are both reconciled to God. And guess what? As we're both reconciled to God, guess what else happens? We're reconciled to each other. And Paul is saying, listen, this mystery, it wasn't made known before. The Jews didn't get this. They weren't given this to understand. God hid it from them to bring about his purposes so that Christ could come born of a Jewish woman, born under the law, born in answer and fulfillment to the covenants and promises of the Old Testament so that he is the true son of God. I'll say it this way. He is the true Israel. And in Him, Jews trust and believe, and Gentiles trust and believe, and we are one in Christ because we have Christ together. That's the mystery, okay? The extent of the reconciliation that God provided is such that Paul could write in Colossians 3.11, there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. What's he saying? He's saying that because I'm in Christ, the Bible tells me, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, all has been made new. Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm in Christ by faith. Paul is writing that. He's a Jew. He's in Christ by faith. We're both in Christ by faith. And because we're both together in Christ by faith, now we're fellow heirs. 
Now we're fellow members and fellow partakers in the promise in Christ Jesus. The only requirement, back up a little bit. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, I think I mentioned this already, the mystery, this mystery he's talking about here, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Jews did not understand that. They saw Messiah coming as a great conquering king who would get rid of the Romans and reestablish a throne and a place for Israel in the land of Israel as a ruling nation. They saw the Messiah that way. They failed to realize that faith in God, when Jesus came, that would be Christ in them. They would have the indwelling spirit of Christ and inherit all those promises, just like we do. The hope of glory, meaning what? The only hope that you and I have beyond this world is Christ in us. You think all your money or all your wealth or all your intelligence or all your connections or all your anything that you want to fill in the blank there will make you something when all of this world is over. When they finally lay my dead corpse down, I take nothing with me except this. I take Christ. He is in me. And beyond this grave, beyond this world, my only single hope of eternal life and glory beyond this life is Christ in me. And that's why he says, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The only requirement to be included in this mystery, fellow heirs, Jew and Gentile, all of us as fellow heirs with Christ, is Christ in us. Jews and Gentiles, once alienated, now have fellowship. Jews and Gentiles are citizens, fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs of eternal life. If you go back to Ephesians 1, verses 11 to 14, he's talking about the inheritance that we are looking forward to receiving. The Spirit of God in us is a deposit promising us that inheritance still to come. That inheritance is eternal life in the presence of God. Jews and Gentiles are fellow heirs of eternal life. They're fellow members in the body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. He isn't just talking about Noble Park Baptist is one body and uh, Keysboro Baptist is another body and Village Church in Dingley is another body. He's talking about the reality that all the churches of all ages, times and places are one body in Christ. And we're all members of each other and members of Christ's body. That's the reason... You go walking down the street and you come face to face with another believer from another local gathering of believers. You can say, hey, you and I are blood brothers and blood sisters. Not your blood, Christ's blood. You and I have fellowship, not because we both have brown skin or white skin or black skin or whatever, because we have Christ. That's a beautiful truth. I want to just take a step aside, and I, I can tell by the time we're not going to get all the way through this. That doesn't matter. There is something in this that just kept coming back to mind all the time we were sitting there and, there and I was singing along. This thought came to mind. We know God's eternal purpose. That is to gather us all together under one head, who is Christ. God is working everything in time and history towards that one purpose. Let's make it even more mind-blowing. 
He's working everything in your life, bar none, towards that ultimate purpose. You say, like what? Well, like cancer, maybe. Or like heartache. Or family breakups. Or, if I can pick on Byron, a poor broken ankle. As sad as that is, buddy. He's working all those things towards the accomplishment of his purpose. Which means what? It means this, that you say, well, how does my broken ankle, how does the death of a loved one in my life, how does my emotional turmoil, the struggle I'm having as a believer, how does that contribute to that? And I can say this, we can rest absolutely sure that God has it all under control and he's working it all towards the end purpose. Let me give you an illustration. His mystery which he had hidden all the way back in the history of salvation in the Bible, Jews right back to the time of Abraham, right back before Adam and Eve, God had a plan to reconcile Jew and Gentile together. Even though he hid that mystery for what? 4,000 years? Did God not have us in mind for 4,000 years? No. God had us perfectly in mind. And even in the time of the prophets and the kings and all the Old Testament history, all that's going on over there, and all they were taught to keep them separate from all the Gentile nations and to kill them off and keep them away, even though Israel was supposed to reach out to them and bring them in, you say, God forgot about us. No, he didn't. No, God for his purposes hid that mystery for a while so that in the end of the age, God could take men like Paul and Peter and the disciples and guess what? You and me as well to go and take the mystery of the gospel, the wisdom of God, and make it known. God had you in mind, even though that mystery was hidden for 4,000 years. I've heard people say that the Gentile inclusion in the people of God was an afterthought of God. I think to myself, no, 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 no. God had all that in mind, had that purpose in mind from day one. God knows exactly what He's doing in your life. And I don't know all the struggles that you're going through. I don't know about the cancers that you haven't told us about. I don't know about the depression, the discouragement, sickness, relationship break-aparts. All those things. And there are a host of other ones besides those six that I've mentioned. But I am absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that God knows what you're going through and He is using those purposes, those situations, sorry, to bring about His ultimate eternal purpose. I had a friend in Canada. Um, well, I had more than one, but I did have one anyway. And his name was Wes. And uh, he's a young fella. And his, his father was the guy that actually married us, uh, married Heather and I. And um, he worked in a steel factory. And one day there was a huge crash in the back of the steel factory and alarms and sirens went off. And Ray, my friend, this fellow's dad, was up in his office working. And they said, you've got to come quick. There's been a really bad accident. And he went down there. And this, place, this factory is huge. It'd be um, some of the furnaces to heat the steel to make, uh, they made steel springs were as long as, from here to the back of the parking lot. And the, the buildings were like three times the size of this whole structure here. And he went run down there and they had this great big pile of steel in uh, pieces like yay to yay, really small. 
It was all piled up, and Wes and another fellow had been up on top of one of these piles, and they had been moving the steel around to get to shift position to put, bring some, something in. And something snapped and broke, and the whole pile of steel collapsed and came down. And when it happened, of course, the whole pile started to move like back and forth, like swaying, and his buddy went one way, and, and Wes had no choice. He went the other way, and the steel came down on top of him. And the steel, this is horrible, it went in the middle of his back and came out through his front, and he was impaled. Wes had walked away from God. He had heard the gospel his entire life. And his parents had pleaded with him endlessly, Wes, you need to get right with the Lord. And Wes walked away, and Wes went to hospital, and, and they, I think they... He, his heart failed three or four times. They revived him. He got there. He was awake to the whole thing, if you can imagine that. And Ray actually lifted him off the steel and sat beside him on the floor and holding his hand and praying with him until the ambulance came. As a result of that, Wes woke up. I don't mean sleep. I mean he woke up spiritually. You say, why would God allow that? The outflow of that accident was Wes had... Um, chronic fatigue, and he had all sorts of issues for the rest of his life. But Wes followed the Lord, and is, to my knowledge, is still walking with the Lord Jesus today. His life is permanently hindered and marked by the accident. That's an incredible story. And you say, well, what's the point of the story? The point of the story is this. God has an eternal purpose which he is working toward bringing all the nations, all the believing peoples together under one head who is Christ. God is working that purpose out. The mystery is that God is reconciling us one to another. The thing of what I'm trying to get across to you is that God is achieving that purpose in a whole bunch of different ways. And it may be, mom and dad, listen, it may be that they will take your son and daughter will go through horrific pain and struggle for God to get a hold of them and bring them back. I saw a mom just go, shoulder sag. And you're right. Nobody wants to watch that. But you say, what's the point? God is working out His purposes. And God will use all sorts of means and methods. And you say, why would God bring cancer? Why would God take away my spouse, my loved one? Why would God do that? Because God is working in your life to bring you to that ultimate purpose, that ultimate end. Now, we haven't even gotten to the main point of the text. And it's already 11.30. Listen, we are one in Christ. That story I told about Jay and Gordon at the very beginning, beginning of the story, the message, that's a beautiful reality looking around this room and seeing all of us sitting together as believers in Christ is a beautiful reality. And the mystery that God is working is reconciling all of us from different backgrounds and bringing us together. And he's doing it in such a way, if you look in verse number 10, he says, in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You remember the story that he's talking about demonic rulers and thorns, most likely what he means by that. So we'll take that interpretation. You remember when Satan fell, he took one third of the heavenly host with him and there was war in heaven and there was a great big turmoil, right? And all the angelic hosts were split apart, demonic and angelic. 
Never again would they be reconciled. Angels cannot, or demons cannot be saved. They cannot exercise faith. They cannot be saved. Once they fell, it was irrevocable and irreversible. And the earth, those demonic powers are watching as Adam and Eve take the fruit and eat one sin. The whole of humanity is infected with sin. And as he goes on through the history of humanity, one after another, every single one, bar none, all of them sin against God. But God affects his purposes. God brings Christ in the world to reconcile. So one day God says, hey, demons, look. There's the wisdom of God at work. They sinned. They were separated from me and from each other. But look, there they are, sitting together in that church, one in Christ. Jew and Gentile, the most hated and opposite of peoples who would not, could not stand to be together. God brings them together and he says, look, demons, there. They're reconciled. They have Christ. They're one in Christ. And I am convinced that in that last great day when we're all gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ and for all of eternity, the demons will look on in from hell and say, look at that. They sinned against God and against each other, but they're reconciled. They're now one in Christ. And God is using this church as we meet together, as we worship together, as we serve together, as we minister together, and as we deal with disputes and grievances and sin against each other, as we deal with that, he is displaying the wisdom of God to the angelic powers and the demonic powers. And God is using us to make known the mystery of Christ to other peoples and other generations. I so badly want to get on to the main point of the past. I haven't even got the main point yet. Sorry. This is all a side point. The main point of the actual text It's not a side point as in less important. I didn't mean that. (laughs) It's a great, important point. But the main point of the text that Paul is talking about is, you know what? God has given me grace. Grace to take the mystery of God to the nations. Grace to suffer as a prisoner of Christ. Grace He's given me to preach the gospel. Grace He's given me to teach the truths of the gospel of Christ to the nations, to minister the gospel everywhere. And the truth for us, as Noble Park Baptist Church, is God will give us the same grace that He gave Paul to not only be reconciled and united to each other and that fellowship to become tighter and tighter, and it must become tighter but to also go out with the mystery, the message of the mystery, out into the the streets and the areas around this place to tell them that Jesus died for them, to reconcile them to God and to each other. But we'll leave that for next time. All right. Okay. Would you stand with me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to ask Leah to come and play, and we'll sing the benediction together. Loving Father, we come before you again. And, oh God, when we stop to consider what you have accomplished. Father, 
even if you only reconciled us to yourself, that would be an infinitely great work. But Father, as we stand in this room together, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ, Father, we realize the great mystery of God is that you reconciled us not only to yourself, but to each other. You took, Father, that which was irreconcilable and reconciled it in Christ. And Father, we stop and we give thanks that you are working towards your eternal purpose, which is to gather all together under one head, who is Christ. And Father, we rejoice that you bring the difficult things in our life. Father, I just want to take a second to say thank you for Wes and thank you for the way you worked in his life to bring him back in faith and repentance. And Father, to know that today he still walks with you. And Lord, that horrible accident was used of you for your glory and his good. And Father, I'm also convinced that there are men and women and young people in this church that are currently enduring some tragic, difficult, painful circumstances. And some of them, Father, have begun to look up to the heavens and say, why? Why this? Why now? I don't get it. Father, I pray, I plead for them, even though I can't name them, I plead for them, O God, that you would remind them that you are working out your eternal purpose in their life. That you are bringing them to the place where they will, in full faith and confession and repentance, walk with you. Father, I pray that you would do whatever is necessary in their lives this day to bring them that much closer. Father, even as a father and a son and a husband, thinking about my own family, Father, there is a piece of me that just cringes to think what that might be. And yet, O oh God, I know that you are working all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Father, I plead with you for the one or even more, Lord, that are in this room right now. Maybe at some point in their life they have made a confession of faith and begun to walk with you. But like some in the Gospels, they have begun to turn away and turn back. Father, I plead with you by the power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God that you would use whatever means necessary to arrest them in their steps and turn them around and turn them back towards you, that they might finish the race well. Father, for the one this morning who is hurting and grieving, loved ones have passed away, difficult circumstances have come, and they are hanging on to you with a grip of death. Father, I thank you for it. And I plead with you, O God, that you would give them much more grace. Give them the strength to carry on the journey a little longer. Father, for some of us, there is a tunnel ahead of us, and we can't even see the far side.
But we know, O God, that you are walking with us, that you are with us, your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Father, I plead with you this morning that our great shepherd would stay close. And Father, as much as it hurts, that he will use his rod and his staff to keep us in line, that we might be pleasing to him. Lord, I just give you thanks for this time together in the Word. Father, I thank you. I'm so grateful to you for this church. And Father, for the powerful testimony it is of a gospel community. Lord, we are all together in this room, not for any other reason, but that we know Jesus Christ. And we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so we have fellowship with one another. Lord, I give you thanks, and I ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen.